oh my goodness, it was so bad. <laughs> I hated every second of it because it just kept getting worse. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Go For Two podcast. This is a podcast for frustrated football fans by two frustrated football fans. I'm Jenna Lique alongside my co-host Brad Klein. And you guys will realize that this episode is a day later than you're used to. You usually record on Tuesdays, get it out on Tuesdays. But we had a birthday yesterday. It was Brad's birthday and I also was flying home from that dreaded Falcons Raiders game but we'll say it was because we were celebrating Brad's birthday with a day off and now we are back Brad how does it feel to be 21 years old feels good I'm a lot more mature now a lot more wise you know I feel like I can give unsolicited life advice only when I'm sitting on a recliner in front of a television though I feel like that's that's the only way it works it's good and uh, you know it's I feel like it's okay that the the pod was pushed back a day in the week because the NFL was too so it's fine. That's, that's perfect. Let's just get right into it because we kind of have to state the obvious. This, it was perfect that we pushed it back this week because there hasn't been the final game of this week yet. We're still in week, what is it, 12? Yeah. 12. Week 12 of the NFL season. And week 13 is supposed to start tomorrow. Like this – Let's just get into it. It's obviously the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers were supposed to play on Thanksgiving. What happened? We had horrible Thanksgiving football. Instead, we saw the worst teams in the NFL play. We saw the Washington football team and the Cowboys play each other and the Lions and the Texans play each other. With That was all supposed to you know, culminate to the big game. The AFC North, we have the Ravens, we have the Steelers. And then we're told, no, it's not going to happen, COVID cases, which we talked about that on last pod a little bit. We just touched on it. We didn't think it was going to have this lasting effect. And now they're talking, now the game's getting pushed back to today around 3.40. So right now it's around 12.15, so right under where, um, you know, right before the game is going to start. So it did work out that we, you know, pushed this back because we can talk about just how the NFL has been dealing with this situation. Yeah, and to me, I'm pretty impressed, right? Because an NFL schedule, more so than basketball, baseball especially, and baseball have this problem where uh, a team gets COVID and you have to rearrange the schedule. But you can, you are more flexible in baseball. You can have double headers. You can have seven inning games just to make it work. You can't do that for football. You need recovery time in football. You have to play four quarters of football. And somehow the NFL is managing to be a little bit more flexible than I all thought we were. We thought they'd be. I mean, a Wednesday game to me seemed impossible, infathomable, infathomable. and the Steelers and the Ravens are going to do it. What's the level of football? I don't know. And to me, that's the biggest gripe that I have with the NFL in terms of their COVID policies. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But I, I think you have to clap it up for the NFL for finding a way to get this game in this week. Don't get me wrong. I love football every day of the week. If it were up to me, there'd be football literally every weekday. And then we'll maybe some Saturday and some and continue on Sunday, just every day. Cause that's how much I love this sport. But I didn't see when I was, you know, reading about this and keeping up with this, my thought wasn't, wow, the NFL is so flexible. Mine was, wow, they really messed up. 
We spent our entire summer talking about COVID, how COVID would affect the NFL and basically how it felt like they didn't have a plan. How it was just like, yep, we're just going to start and we're going to do it. And so now we're, again, week 13 starts tomorrow and we're still not done with week 12. It's getting a little too close. And the thing is, as of right now, I guess we'll maybe we'll get some breaking news sometime in this pod. They need to submit a roster by 12:30 today, and if they, it needs to have enough players to play in this game, and it, and it feels like there's there's everyone on on at least for you know the Ravens has COVID. So it's for me, it's like okay, now this is becoming an issue for a lot of teams, and there's also just been inconsistency in how the NFL has dealt with COVID issues for each team, which we will talk about that because obviously there was a big game where there, you know, was no quarterback on one team. So that's, that's important. But for me, I'm thinking this is, this is a dumpster fire. They, they've completely just dropped the ball. They had time to plan for if something like this happened. But the thing is the Steelers has, have been in this situation before. And I think that's why this is kind of getting really murky it's because of the whole Texan or the Texas, the Titans earlier in the season has kind of met, they already lost their bye. So it's not like you can push, you know, skip this week. So I think it's going to get really murky if this continues to happen, because it seems like it might continue to happen. Um, and we'll see. I know that they're thinking of extending the playoffs to eight teams if they have to start canceling games. And I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if that's what's going to start happening. Cause this is a mess. I didn't take it as, Yay for flexibility, I thought. Yeah, I mean, bad. that's fair. That's fair. But I will say this. It's, it's easy to go back to the summer and say, oh, the NFL should have built in an extra buy like college football. And, yeah, they should have. But to find a way to cram a game into a very small time hole, a time slot, if at all, without that extra buy, I actually thought it was impossible. Now, maybe in a way it is. They're going to play the game, but who knows what's going to be with the schedule going forward, right? Because now you can't ask the Steelers and the Ravens to play on Sunday, right? I mean, you're going to have to push both of their games back to Monday. And at that point, they're going on short rest two weeks from now as well. I mean, it's very hard. There's going to be a domino effect to this. There will be repercussions, but this is not the type of game. Ravens-Steelers. This is not the type of game that the NFL wants to lose. And I think in a way, Jenna, I think the league was actually very excited at the prospect of having a six-day week, seven-day week, really, um, with, with the Wednesday game and then ne next week starting with Thursday. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big deal because the NFL, I think we all realize, could have a monopoly if they wanted it. If they could figure out a way to schedule a game every day of the week like you want it, People would watch every day of the week, and it would be doomsday for other sports. Now the NFL has that, and it's a good time to be Roger Goodell. I have more to say on the whole COVID NFL protocols, but I think I'll save that for when we talk about the Broncos Saints game, and I can explain my frustration with the whole process. But let's talk, you know, let's talk some football. Let's, you know, give the COVID a break, a rest for, you know, at least one bullet point, one topic. We're going to talk about Tyreek Hill, and he has a performance that was out of this world. It was insane. He had 13 catches for 269 yards and three touchdowns. I, unfortunately, had to play him in fantasy. I scored 140 points in fantasy, 
and I still lost because the person I played scored 180 because he had Tyreek Hill and DK Metcalf. Yeah. So that just this just completely killed me in one of the fantasy leagues I'm in. So I just I think the question I'm I'm going I'm going to ask you here is does this mean that Tyreek Hill is now a wide receiver one? I that, I think that's the question that he's been like, am I a wide receiver one now? Like, can people take me seriously now? Because I think a lot of people see him as just the speedster. You know, he's not going to be a reliable go-to guy every single time. Um, but you think this gives him, you know, some momentum in that conversation? Yeah, it does. Especially with a guy like Patrick Mahomes that can sling it. It's a match made in heaven. And we saw that with the 75-yard bomb backflip into the end zone. Now, Tyreek Hill is a wide receiver one, and it was not a question in my mind. I will say this, though, and you might think to yourself, wow, Brad, I mean, this is pretty incredible that after a 200 and nearly 70-yard performance, you're going to bash Tyreek Hill in the slightest of ways. But he had 203 yards in the first quarter, which is like, wow, incredible. Glass half full, that is insane, and it is. But at the same time, rest of the game, he was kind of held in check. And I think in a way, in a very slight, very slim way, you have to credit Todd Bowles, actually, the defensive coordinator for the Bucks, finding a way to, after 15 minutes, albeit, hold this guy in check and eventually put his team in a position to come back and win the football game. Well, the, you know, the Bucks weren't able to come back, but it was very, very close. The, the thing Andy Reid was saying, we have, to, we have to run down that clock toward the end of the game because he knew that Tom Brady was ready to turn a, a less than two-minute drive. It was about a minute left on the clock. And he was like, we need it. Because I think what they did was they passed on third down instead of running the clock because they knew they could not give the ball back to Tom Brady because he had that look in his eye that Tom Brady gets that he was going to bring his team back. And I thought that was, you know, just interesting – how the game ended up. Obviously, Tyreek Hill's performance was the story of the first half, and then the second half was, you know, the Bucks come back and how, the, you know, Andy Reid and the Chiefs were kind of like, we have to be careful here because this is where Tom Brady likes to do Tom Brady things. And the one thing that kind of stood out to me, it, it, I think it happened last night. I'd say last night. Um, I, I saw it on Twitter. It was uh, Tyreek Hill was in an interview like on, on, I don't remember where it was, but um, he was asked about the first week of training camp with Patrick Mahomes. And Tyreek Hill responded by saying, I honestly thought he was trash. And <laughs> that was it. He was like, this is the guy you guys drafted. Like he was not in on Patrick Mahomes. So then obviously there was the whole Twitter thing where Patrick Mahomes, you know, put out a meme that I would explain, but this is an audio medium, so it doesn't help us. I'm not good at describing memes. But you can go look it up on Twitter. You can go Patrick Mahomes, and you'll see it. Because it was just confusion that his, you know, number one, you know, his star wide receiver didn't, have, didn't think he was going to be good, thought he was going to be trash. And he turns out to be potentially one of the greatest to do it, which is crazy. Yeah. Now you can't hate on Tyree Kill. And just to go back to your early, earlier question, I know he's not – a DK Metcalf type, and he's not going to necessarily outmuscle you. But if you can't cover him, you can't cover him. And especially in the first quarter, Bucks couldn't touch him. All right, I said we'd get back to, to COVID-related news. And 
it's not really news because I feel like everyone was talking about it. In theory, a game with a team without a quarterback seems like a really interesting watch. And it was anything but that. Um, it was a complete mess. And I guess what my question, just besides the game, because I feel like that's kind of to be like, it's expected that the Saints were going to win um, and probably shut out the Broncos. That's not, you know, super surprising. But what is kind of interesting to me is we have the Ravens and Steelers game getting pushed back. You know, I feel like it's been on three or four different days now. It was supposed to be Thursday, and then it got pushed to Sunday, and then Monday, and then Tuesday. And then, like, it's we've, you know, pushed it back almost every day over the past week. And what, why is it that it was okay for them to do that for that game and not push back? the Broncos Saints game when they didn't have a quarterback. The same can be said with multi I was going to make it a fan frustration. I might come back to it later, but the same with the Raiders, they had their, their whole offensive line go, um, go on the COVID list before they played the Bucks, and their game got moved up. It got moved to four because I'm going to say, because the NFL wanted to make sure that their primetime slot had a game in it. And then against this I feel like it happened multiple times with the Raiders they just don't cancel their games they're like oh deal with it and play it was against the Chiefs the whole defense was on the COVID list Uh, but you still have to play and I feel like they've been super inconsistent with their their rulings do you feel the same way or am I do I need some perspective no I'll, I'll explain to you why the NFL postponed the Ravens game and not the Broncos game the Ravens have more cases than the Broncos now I'll explain to you why that makes no sense is because the NFL has all these rules, all these safety precautions to protect quarterbacks quarterback outside of kicker and punter might actually be the safest position to play on a football field, just because of all the rules they have right now to protect those guys. They want to keep them on the field. So that means that the NFL values quarterbacks, which is odd because they didn't seem to value quarterbacks too much when the Broncos turned to the NFL and said, hey, we don't have any. What are we supposed to do? So they play this guy, Kendall Hinton, who, by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Kendall Hinton actually has a Syracuse connection. He is the wide receiver who was stripped uh, at the goal line at the end of last year for Wake Forest, and Trill Williams ran it back for a touchdown. So Syracuse won by two possessions in overtime. Fun fact. But Kendall Hinton was a state champion quarterback in high school, and yet, and he actually played some quarterback in college too. And yet, after all that, one for nine, 13 yards, two interceptions, and a sack. Yeah. Not good. (laughs) The Broncos did not win the game 31 to three. They lose. It was Mm -hmm. never competitive. The guy actually throws a halfway decent ball, but obviously it wasn't good enough. And to me, it was very disappointing. Not, and I turned the TV on because I wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the NCAA would never have played this game just because they actually have a rule, a provision that says, if you have a certain amount of players out from a specific position group, then we won't play the game. That, that means even if you don't have enough guards or offensive linemen, you won't play the game because it's not competitive football. And they want to protect the integrity of the game. And To me, I think that's exactly what the NFL should have done because this is not a professional football game. 
So to me, you have to protect the integrity of the game. This is not a competitive football game because you don't have a professional football quarterback. It's not a professional football game. I turned the TV on to see it, and I swiftly turned it off to avoid it because it was really hard to watch. But you have to give you know, Kendall Hinton some credit. He, uh, I'm just going to read the Broncos tweet that you know gained a lot of traction. I mean, a lot of people showed their support. They just said, you know, because, oh, there's always the post-game tweet that, you know, the team puts out of the score. And this is what it said, you know, there was a game. The final score is what it is. An undrafted rookie, in all caps, wide receiver, and then tagged Kendall Hinton, came off the practice squad, had zero practice reps, and competed in his first NFL game as the Broncos quarterback in all caps an unprecedented situation we love that buzzword for 2020 he deserves all the respect and I saw a lot of people retweeting this and just being like you know props man like even people you know people who were his opponents during the game like Saints players were just like this this is you know good for you now it's gonna be interesting Uh, I heard on I was listening to Katie Nolan's sports podcast and I guess her her question I think it's an interesting question was what do you do now? This guy stepped up in a major way from your team, and he probably would have never played in, a, in an NFL game, you know, for you this season. Um, now do you just, like, go put him back on the practice squad? Like, he just, just like, we needed you. Like, bye. Like, you're done. Go back to the practice. That's, like, so sad. <laughs> like, you would think that it would, you know, be nice if they would keep him, you know, keep him as a wide receiver. But you know that the reality of the football business is he's going to get sent right back down. (laughs) I mean, honestly, and I hate to say this, but getting him sent back down to the practice squad, that's almost the best case scenario, right? Because he could be cut. He could be unemployed completely. So practice squad, honestly, not the worst thing in the world. Very true. All right. We also had, you know, some head coaching news. Matt Patricia has been fired by the Lions. Brad is clapping it up. He loves to dunk on the Lions. I'm just going to pass it on to you. I gave you the headline. Brad's going to give you his analysis and opinions. The Lions haven't been competitive since Matt Patricia. They just haven't been. And I remember one of the first takes I had on this podcast a good 33 episodes ago way back when, was Matt Patricia is a bad head football coach. Bad. And somehow, the defense is bad. And he was supposed to be this defensive guru. It's almost like the Jets struggling on offense with Adam Gase, who was hired because of his offense. Not working. So, to me, it was a no-brainer. It was a culture change that needed to be made And it's disappointing in a way, objectively, as a football fan, not as a Jets fan. To me, it's hilarious. But as a football fan, it's a little disappointing because, once again, a rotten apple falls from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. And I don't think Matt Patricia is going to get another shot at at being a head coach. To me, he kind of seems like more of a coordinator, especially after the Lions. He had talent on that team, and he just could not piece it together They never really took a step forward. It's always a couple of steps back. And I don't see that really being a reason to give him another shot. He could be a coordinator, though. Maybe the the Patriots want to bring him back. Who knows? That was all good. He gave me a lot. I have a lot of thoughts now just hearing what you said, just to bounce off of what you said. And I guess the first 
place. So I'll start with, with my thoughts. And I have a question for you that I ask you after every head coach firing that uh, I'll, I'll give you the reins on that. But I see, I don't think that. Okay, Matt- can I just cut you off and say something? If the Jets sure. hire Matt Patricia, I'm done. Done. It, it was Jets related, but not, not where it was going. No, I'm done. <laughs> There's no way. I can't. I can't do it. Done. Not where I was going with it, but we will once once I get out what I'm going to say, I will ask you a question and you will give me your answer. I've asked it to you before when we've seen other head coach firings, so you should you should be prepared. Um, so the first thing that you kind of mentioned was Matt Patricia getting a job, like a head coaching job again. I don't think it happens either. Just from what you kind of heard out of Detroit, like I feel like no one really liked him, and like the thing, the reasons were like valid in this because it was like. He was like, a, he had stupid methods. It was just like, this does not make sense. And everyone kind of just hated him. Um, so I don't think right now his name is in good standing. The thing is, you usually see, like, once a coach, you know, if he were a coach that people were going to, you know, want, it'd be like, oh, you know, maybe he'll go here as a head coach next. Or maybe he'll go here. No, it's just like, Matt Patricia, good riddance. So we, I don't think you get, a coordinator job, I think, is definitely, that's usually what happens with head coaches that just don't do well as head coaches. They just go back to being coordinators, which, you know, you still get to do, you know, so it's coach football. So that's good on that. I guess the other thing that came to mind, because it was talked a lot about during the broadcast of the Lions and the Texans game, um, which is like poor Matt Stafford, man. This he's 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 you know a solid quarterback that just like has never been given the opportunity to like compete. I mean, he ha- like he, like really, it's especially over the past few years, it's just you're just kind of wasting wasting this guy away. And some I saw some people who were like they or somewhere it said that like the Lions should have just traded Matt uh, Matt Stafford to somewhere else and gotten a quarterback. And just like, kind of like started over, really just knock it all down. Um, but I feel like they thought that they were in a better position. They thought that they were ready for some type of push and then bring Matt Patricia would be the missing piece. And it just went backwards from there. So I, I remember just t- Tony Romo was saying, cause he's the analyst. Um, and so it was, he was like, yeah, this guy's just a good quarterback, a good dude, and, like, I really just hope he has one playoff push before he, he retires. Just one one final hurrah because he's good. And I was like, this poor guy has, has not had the best luck. So my question now is, are you surprised that all – that your, your guy Adam Gase is still a head coach in the National Football League with, they have not won, you know, the Jets have not won a game yet, and there's been three coaches now who have been fired before Adam Gase. Okay. I'll give okay. you two different answers. Cool. Number one, the Jets have actually been playing halfway decent football over the past few weeks. Ever since the 2020 draft class got healthy, they've actually been a football team. Doesn't make them a good football team, but they've been a football team. That being said, The Jets are winless. That is likely by design. And I'm pretty sure the only reason Adam Gase is still employed is because he loses better than anyone else. Okay, so if the goal is to lose, who else do you want at the helm? Who other than Adam Gase? I mean, really. 
that's so I'm, it's fine. Point. <laughs> I, am I surprised that he's still employed? No, because the Jets want to lose. And do I think that the other coaches, Dan Quinn, Matt Patricia, that have been hired, fired before him are worse coaches than him? Absolutely not, considering the fact that I think Adam Gase is the worst coach slash manager in professional American sports. Period. All right. And with that, let's stick with Thanksgiving football. We had, or half of it. It's, so we have the NFCs. We always, we're always going to talk about it. But we're going to talk about it in a somewhat positive light. So the Washington football team beat the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving to put them ahead in the division. They were, or put them in second place because the Eagles hadn't lost it, I believe. Or whatever. No, they're the first four-win team. So, yes, yeah, so Washington was at the top of the division. Then the Giants. The Giants won against the Bengals, so the Joe Burrowless Bengals. And so now the Giants are in first place because they've beaten the Washington football team twice. So the, the question here is, which team has the most to prove going forward, Brad? See, I think it's the Giants here. And it, it, it's not surprising to me. Be, well, it's the Giants because the, the, the team – the Washington football team has already displayed the the fact that they already have multiple quarterbacks. Dwayne Haskins might not be a good quarterback, but he's a quarterback and he can certainly play in the NFC least. You have Alex Smith, you have Kyle Allen, you have three guys that you could just plug and play. Daniel Jones gets hurt with what looks like a pretty significant hamstring injury. So who's the next guy up? The Giants haven't had to flex a backup yet. So for me, that's why it's the Giants. Otherwise, I actually would have said the Washington football team because the Giants have shown an ability to play up to opponents at times. They almost should have beaten the Buccaneers earlier this year. So in a way, I actually think they're built better for the playoffs. But now with the Daniel Jones injury, it changes everything. I was also going to say the Giants. But the thing about these two teams is that they have most sorry, I'm gonna switch my answer to the Washington team, but originally I was thinking because I think just watching the dismantling of the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day was just the defense that was displayed was pretty eye-opening. The the thing about both of these teams is that the defenses aren't that bad. I think the the Washington football team's defense is better, but we've seen that the defense has also been able to carry the Giants. So I think just the pieces – I don't know. I think like they're two even, even teams. So I'm kind of going back and forth on who I think needs more to prove. But I'm going to stick with Washington football team. Um, they have good pieces around them. I think Alex Smith, he is still, like, on his comeback player of the year, you know, trip. And he's getting better, you know, each, each time. Um, the thing is, though, just to talk about my pick for a second, because, again, okay. that was my comeback player of the year. It was. Pick. He's not playing that well. Like, really, he shouldn't win comeback player of the year. But I think if the team from Washington wins the division by default, then Alex Smith has to win comeback player of the year by default. Doesn't matter about the stats, just period. He led a team to the division title, done. It's over. Book it. Well, and I think, just to talk about that for a second, I think people have different – I've seen this in converse, like in conversation – there's different opinions on what the comeback player of the year should be. The fact that Alex Smith came back at all 
is nothing short of a miracle. So people, um, I think a lot of people, I think probably the majority of people are thinking he started an NFL game. Like he's a starter. He wins the award. Like it's very simple. And then you have, I would say probably the Ben Roethlisberger side of things of he had his, what was it? His elbow injury, his arm, whatever his elbow. Um, and he came back and now the Steelers are 11 and 0, but which was more of, you know, a crazy journey. It was definitely Alex Smith. There was, you know, the whole, the whole thing done about it. You know, we all got to see it on national television. So it's the debate of whether performance really matters when just talking about a comeback player. The fact is they came back. Like that is what a lot of people I'm seeing are feeling about it is the fact that he came back at all. It doesn't mean it's not saying like best comeback player. It was just like comeback player of the year who had the biggest, the hardest, you know, obstacles to, to, um, to get over in order to, to play in the NFL. So I think it still goes to Alex Smith, but I think that's why I chose the Washington football team. He, he worries me a bit (laughs) Uh, still. Like I know he can, he can play, but I'm still like, don't touch him. Don't do this. And he's the same way he, they talked about on the broadcast and he said that he knows that he's not as mobile as he used to be. And some of that's age and some of that's the injury of just kind of still being a little hesitant on that leg. So I think that, the Giants are more equipped to have a longer run, but I really like the Washington football team's defense. Again, what I, what I saw on Thanksgiving, I was like, this is a positive spot. And they've done, you know, they've drafted Chase Young and Montez Sweat the year before. So they've been really building that defense. And I think it's time to maybe get some more pieces. They seem to have a pretty strong running back, but they need some more, you know, and some, some water too. They just need more on the offense, a little more offensive firepower maybe figure out that quarterback position. I'm thinking future now. Um, and this could be a potentially pretty good team. But so I think right now they have the most approved to continue to compete in the NFCs. But I think they're both pretty evenly matched. Granted, when they've been put head to head, the Giants have won both of the times. But I think, you know, I think they're more, both of those teams, I kind of like that they're ahead of the Eagles and the Cowboys. Like the two teams that we were like, you know, the Eagles and Cowboys are the two teams where you're like, one of them is going to win this division. We don't know who, yeah. but one of them. And now they're at the bottom. They're both at the bottom of the division. I kind of like that these two, you know, ragtag teams, because the, the whole division's ragtag. So might as well get the ragtaggiest of them and put them in, you know, put one of them in the playoffs. It's it's going to be interesting. Either way, whatever comes out of that division is going to be a one and done. I don't think that is any type of hot take. That is just the obvious. So. Do you have anything else to say about it, Brad, or can we move on? I will I'll leave the audience with this. Yes, whoever wins the NFC least will likely go one and done. But winning a division title should not be taken lightly. I think I'd rather be a six-win division champion than an 11-win wildcard team. And it sounds ridiculous, but that's a banner. That's a banner that they're going to hang up. And that's a banner that they should hang up. So just a heads up. For all the fans out there that want to put an asterisk next to the, the banner, you can, but it's still going to be there and it's still going to be hanging proud. Very true. All right. We have some more division races. We have the Titans, my Titans, not, you know, not, they're not, I'm not part of their fandom, but they have been my try and true pick through all of this. We have the Titans versus the Colts, and they've been the team that I've dumped on 
quite a bit, even though I think their defense good. You guys know how I feel about Philip Rivers. And it was a crucial division matchup for the NF- the AFC South. And my boys won. The Titans won, and I could not be prouder. Which team is built better for the playoffs? I think it's the Titans, especially after what happened last year. They beat the Patriots and basically shocked the world. I was surprised. I thought the Patriots would beat them for sure. You have Derrick Henry. You have that defense. I think that's really the backbone of a strong playoff team. Ryan Tannehill can win you football games, but by design, that's not the reason that they're going to win football games. It's going to be the run game. It's going to be the defense. And to have that foundation is really something that you're going to have to rely on, especially when it gets colder and especially when the stakes are high. I also think that it is the Titans. Um, I feel like that is, is obvious. I think I can just stop right there, the Titans, because I've literally said it the whole time. But it's, it's the running game that is, is, is the reason why. And, again, I talked about it, and you kind of mentioned it. Last year, they knocked off the Patriots. They did what a lot of people didn't think was possible. Um, and then I thought going into the season, everyone forgot about that and were like, oh, there's no reason to pick the Titans for, to win this division because for zero reasons. And I was like, did everyone just forget that they beat the Patriots? Like, did yeah. we just forget that? So I still think that they have a very solid chance, but they did that all behind Derrick Henry. Like, now, without Derrick Henry, there's nothing. Hmm? I think we have to acknowledge one thing, though. We can't say what? that the Titans have a good defense and a good run game, and that's why they're built better for the playoffs and not acknowledge that the Colts have a better defense. The thing is, I trust Derrick Henry more than any other tailback on the Colts roster, and I certainly trust Ryan Tannehill more than Phillip Rivers. And, and that's something that you've really been singing all season is that, man, I don't want Phillip Rivers to have the ball in his hands on a two-minute drill. And that's something that will likely happen in must-win football games. So that's something that I'm really concerned about as well. Yeah, that exactly. That's exactly what I was going to go into. I think that they're kind of, they're sim- like they're somewhat similar teams because the defenses are both – you know, I think the Colts' defense is definitely better. But you, you have a running back in the Titans, Derrick Henry, that just ran over one of the best defenses in the league for 178 yards and three touchdowns. That's that's insane. And again, Phillip Rivers can do almost nothing when he when he needs to. And the whole t- you know, the whole team this season, they're good. The Colts are good, but they're inconsistent. Sometimes, you know, when they're good, they're really good. When they're bad, they're they're really mediocre. So, we shall see, but I'm still saying because strictly because of the running game and the power of Derrick Henry it'd be really foolish to bet against them. Oh, I hate that this is here. We have the Raiders now. The Raiders lose 43 to 6. Let me say it, 43 to 6. You guys didn't know I was at this game. I traveled from South Florida to Atlanta, Georgia in the midst of a pandemic to see the Raiders lose 43 to 6. This isn't fan frustration. We still have a couple more things to get to before that, but I'm very amped up about this. And one of the worst games in Derek Carr's career. Every single time we did anything right, any, you know, drive was going positively, Derek Carr got sacked, and it was a strip sack almost every single time. It was horrendous. 
Can the Vegas Raiders bounce back? I'm saying I don't even know at this point. But, Brad, you talk because I'm angry. And this is not even fan frustration. We still know what was trending before fan frustration. So I want to be amped up through it all. I, my condolences. You know, last oh. week I, I built the rundown. Last week you were upset that the Raiders weren't in there. So I force-fed them into the rundown this week. No, not this way. No, no, you didn't like this. Uh, no. That's fair. Look, it was, it, was an, it was a very embarrassing loss. And as a fan who has traveled long distances for losses, as a fan that has rooted for teams that have had terrible losses, I can tell you, I feel your pain. At the same time, wake up, smell the roses. You're still 6-5. and five. You're on the outside of the playoffs looking in. You still have a chance, okay? And the Vegas Raiders... This is the, the good news is we know that they're better than this. Okay. Sometimes you, you lay an egg like this and you, you say, you think to yourself, man, is this really who this team is? And it's not, it's not. Derek Carr is playing good football. What was happening? The Falcons were putting a lot of pressure on them and the offensive line, obviously not protecting him three fumbles. And it seemed like all of them were strip sacks, the interception to, yeah, it was a tough pill to swallow. Can John Gruden turn this into a positive? Can they learn from it? I think they can. You know, I, I really think that John Gruden is a good coach, um, maybe a terrible GM, but a good coach. And the Raiders have some good pieces, so I'm not going to count them out yet. I have nothing to say about this, honestly. Come on, this is, your, I, this is your team. It is, but the thing is, I'm so lost right now. I'm so, again, yes or no? This is, yes or no? Can the Raiders still make the playoffs? Mathematically, yes, but I don't. I I will. But the thing is, I have. Okay, we're we're. I'll I'll save some of this for my fan frustration because it was gonna be. I the thing is, last year, we were six and four, and we played your New York Jets and got killed, and thus started, the midseason collapse, and we ended up going seven and nine, and missing the playoffs. I wouldn't. I, that's all I'm gonna say. That's where I'm going to leave that. I will talk about it more in my fan frustration. Eerily similar. Eerily, eerily similar. similar. But I think, so, I think it's also important to realize, and again, it's, it's very difficult to sugarcoat a 43-6 to loss to a team that's already fired their head coach. But I think we all understand that the Falcons are better than their record shows. The Falcons are better than the average team that has fired their head coach. I think we understand that. They were losing some really close games last year. They had some leads on some pretty good teams earlier in the year, and they just couldn't hold on to it. Obviously, this is an anomaly. The Falcons aren't this good. The Raiders aren't this bad. Try not to overreact to this pain. I mean, it's too late. Overreaction. You didn't see what I saw. And I I will give more now. I will give more to this when we make our way down to fan frustration. It's fair. I feel your pain. I just want you to know that I sympathize with you. My condolences. Let's move on. Uh, that, was, that was a cruel joke. I'll, I'll take the reins, take a water break here. We're moving on to what was trending. And for me, it's, it's a bad beat. And I think I had this either last week or two weeks ago. But this is, a, this is personal at this point. This is almost like a fan frustration. Bad beat. Friendly $5 wager on the Seahawks, minus six and a half. And they're winning the entire game. Actually, they were up big the entire game. The Eagles come back a little bit, as is expected for a team down pretty big in the second half. They come back. They're down by two touchdowns. A minute left, no timeouts, no problem. Okay, 
Eagles have at that midfield. Carson Wentz throws a Hail Mary into the end zone. It's tipped up in the air. Seahawks can't get it. Eagles have it. Touchdown with a hacky sack catch for Richard Rodgers. Oh, that stinks. But, hey, we're still up by eight. No problem. Six and a half. Make it seven, and we're good, right? But, no. The Seahawks, or excuse me, the Eagles, for no reason, no mathematical reason, go for two. And they get it. And it was one of the worst beats that I personally have ever been a part of. Out of nowhere, the Eagles backdoor cover. And 90% of bettors have this. Had Seahawks minus six and a half. One person had $500,000 on Seahawks minus six and a half. And I'm not going to say a name, but a a mutual friend, Jenna, had $40 on Seahawks, given six and a half. And actually, uh, Bleacher Report intercepted a letter from a disgruntled fan to the NFL saying, Dearest NFL, I had Seahawks minus six and a half. And I just want to say, the Eagles going for two proves that your game is fixed. All I'm asking for is an even playing field. No longer should you fix your football games. And if you do, please let me know. The only way that you can make this right is by refunding all of the money that was essentially stolen from all the Seahawks betters. So please, do what's right. It was written a little bit more elegantly than that, but uh, that was pretty much the gist. And it was, it, it exploded Twitter. It just completely erupted Twitter. It was a bad beat. It was a terrible, dreadful, horrible, oh my God, beat. So there you go. That's rough, and I'm sure that really went over with the dear NFL, really. Oh, yeah, message NFL, received, yeah. Yes, yes, the, I'm sure it was received, and they're working hard to get the money back to the people. That's, yeah, I saw that. That's pretty funny. Mine I, is very similar. Um, what the internet was talking about after this game was the fact that Jim Schwartz, which is who is the um, defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, told DK Metcalf, that he worked with Megatron, Calvin Johnson, in Detroit, and that DKs know Calvin Johnson. And as the new Michael Jordan meme says, and he took that personally. And he went off, he went off on this in this game. And after it was what everyone was talking about. Um and he was like, yep, he, he told me this. And I think Jim Schwartz definitely in the press conference was kind of asked about it. And he definitely was like, oh, he's good. He definitely has, you know, you know, Megatron potential. It was like kind of walking it back when before it kind of seemed like he was saying, you'll never be this. Because it was around, it was like, you know, before he took off. And it was just a whole, it was all this drama because DK Metcalf was like, this could have been my home. The Eagles could have drafted me. I took that personally too. He took everything personally in this game. And he received, you know, he received for almost 180 yards. He had 177 yards. And that is a, you know, career high for him. So he took everything personally, chip on his shoulder. But there was just so much back and forth over social media of what all of this meant. Is, you know, comparing DK Metcalf to Calvin Johnson, which if you look at their stats through the amount of games that Metcalf has played in, it's like, very similar they're very similar players obviously there's a difference you know Calvin Johnson played on some some pretty bad Lions teams and 
didn't have the pleasure of getting the ball thrown from Russell Wilson's hand. But it was all the all this drama for it to just come to DK Metcalf Metcalf balling out in this game. So I guess be careful what you say to players. I don't know. I feel like that's always it's always a thing. It will come back to bite you. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they're very similar players in their body types and the way they use their bodies to get open and even make catches when they're not open. It's frustrating that DK Metcalf is not on the Raiders, not on the Jets, but that with that, let's move on. Cue the music. Fan. <gasps> Frustration. All right, all right, all right. Fan frustration, Jenna. Again, I feel for you. There are about 52, 50 million avenues you can take with your fan frustration this week. So I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to set the scene a little bit. So, kind of talked about it before. Going into this game, we were 6-4. and four, And last season, going into the game against the Jets, we were trending upward. We were 6-4. and four. Very similar. Derek Carr was asked in a press conference, "How six and four, it's the same thing, you know? How does this team feel different? He goes, yeah, this team is different. There will not be a midseason collapse like there was last year. That's just not us. This is a different year, and I feel really a lot better than I did last year. Okay, DC, fine. Good. I felt good about going into that. But this will, you know, I did not even think, I, I, as I said, I went to this game, and at this game, there, obviously, it was COVID, so there were, you know, it wasn't full capacity, but there's still a good number of people there, probably definitely more than I thought there would be. And the majority of those people were Raiders fans. And I later learned on my travels back from Atlanta to South Florida that some of these people, these Raiders fans who I spoke to because they were, you know, behind me in the security line, and I, you know, I talked to them, and they're like, oh, you heading back to Cali? People came from California to Georgia to watch this atrocious game. It like in the beginning of the you know it was Raider Nate. If you never experienced Raiders fans, it's very interesting. We're not even in this like in the actual stadium yet, and they're doing their Raiders chant throughout the whole state, like throughout just like randomly, and it's just very interesting to see. And that's how it started the game. the The stadium was echoing with the Raiders chant throughout it, so like, you could tell it was a majority Raiders fan the majority of Raiders fans were there and you think, okay, there's no way that they're going to, they're going to blow this. There's no way. I went and I was confident. I didn't even think this was a possibility. So Derek Carr, you just said that this team is different. Yeah, they are different. This was worse than the Jets game last year. The Jets game, at least, I don't know. That was atrocious too. I watched that one. I watched that one as well. But this was every single time, like I said, any, every single time, you know, there'd be a deep, you know, deep ball to Henry Ruggs, great. Or, you know, third down and you need to pick this yardage up and it's a nice, you know, right across the middle pass to Hunter Renfro. Really good stuff. Next thing you know, pressure on Derek Carr, fumble. Or Josh Jacobs, fumble. Interception, fumble. My thing was, like, it kept getting worse. It wasn't like, I was like, okay, it was like we are down by 24 and I was like, well, you know. The Falcons are known for blowing leads. I was optimistic for a lot longer than I should have. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right, we're doing things. We're moving down the field. We're going to score right here. 
fumble. Interception. And it kept getting worse because then, because um, the interception, it wasn't just an interception and now the Falcons had nice field position. It was a pick six. He threw a pick six. So it was like things just kept getting worse. There's, there was penalties. I think the penalties totaled over 100 yards or something crazy because it was every single thing. The Falcons just went down the field because it was holding, pass interference. Pass interference always is going to bite you because then, that, you know, that's a spot foul. So all of a sudden, it's a deep bomb pass interference. They're at, you know, half the distance of the goal. It was a mess. It was one of the worst displays I've seen by a Raiders football team in a very long time and one that's supposed to be good. And that's why I can't really say anything about the playoff push because I can't say anything about this team after that because they were supposed to be, according to their car, they're supposed to be different and the midseason collapse wasn't supposed to happen. And this is exactly how it started last year when they were blown out by a team that they should not have been blown out by. And then it was just loss after loss and they left Oakland in disgrace. And so now we're here in Las Vegas trying to change our ways and it looks like it's more of the same. That's why I can't confidently say, yes, we'll make the playoffs. Right now, the thing is, we were – this loss stifled any momentum that we had because we were number five in the playoff race, a five seed. We are now a nine seed and outside of the playoff picture because the Dolphins won, the Browns won. Two teams we needed to lose. and. The Colts have a better record than we do. And I'm I'm sorry that the Ravens are having COVID issues and Lamar Jackson isn't going to play. That's probably the best case scenario for me because that will probably – that puts both of us at six and five. But it was utterly atrocious, and we need to kind of – we need to win a lot of a lot of games against AFC opponents because this this was a complete and utter failure. And the thing is – they came into the game, and even the play calling seemed different, and it seemed weird. And I saw something on Twitter that kind of made sense to me. It was after the Chiefs game, they kind of stopped. They in this game against the Falcons, they kind of switched, and they went to not just competing with teams, but trying to prove that they're a good football team. It's, they tried to, to do too much, be too fancy, and I think probably try to strong strong arm the Falcons, and be like, "We're good. We're explosive. We're this." instead of just playing the game that has made them play so well for so long. So it was very frustrating, and it, it was kind of a mess. And I had to do the walk of shame – or the walk of shame wasn't even that bad out of the stadium because there was more Raiders fans than Falcons fans. The flight fans. of shame. The flight of shame, but no one knew I was a Raiders fan on, on that flight. But to end, to end my monologue here, my, my, my favorite part was the pride of the Raiders fans because we're walking out of the stadium – and I hear all these people, oh, this is awful. But, like, you know, ranting about how bad the game was. And then go, but you know what? 24 and 3. 24 to 3. So, whatever. They still, like, they still have that infamous Tom Brady game. So, boom. And I was like, guys, we just lost 43 to 6. And your kind of roast on the Falcons was 24-3. That's what they said. They're like, fine. 24-3. You know what? 24-3. And that's how they left the game. Good point. So, Oh my goodness, it was so bad. I hated every second of it because it just kept getting worse. But you know what? I got to see football in 2020, and not a lot of people can say that. So I'm thankful. Brad, let's move on from this game because I hate it. Oh, that's, that's <gasps> not good. Not good. The Raiders, the Raiders did a good job losing 
last week. Something, a craft that the Jets have mastered at this point. We're winless. We lose 20-3 to to the Dolphins, who you would have liked uh, to lose last week. But sorry, we're saving that one win for next week. We'll get to that in a minute. But Sam Darnold uh, adds two interceptions to his season total now uh, with, the, with the Dolphins' loss. And now it's really starting to become a concern of mine because I understand. Because at this point, I want the Jets to lose every game. And I understand you're not going to be able to lose every football game you play when your quarterback performs well. So it's, it's a two-way street, it's a give and take. Sam Darnold, though, has not thrown a touchdown pass since September 27th. Wow. It's December. It is December, okay? So when we draft Trevor Lawrence, we'll have Sam Darnold on the roster still. What do we do with him? We're going to try to trade him. But who's going to give up any significant assets for a guy that hasn't thrown a touchdown in two months? No one. He's not worth anything. And I remember there was a time when we were saying, oh, well, is it the first round pick or is it the second round pick? And now, can we get a third? Maybe, hopefully. Can you just take him? Can you just take him, please? This is not good at this point. And I remember I was such a fool earlier in the year when I was putting all the onus on Adam Gase. Here's the new refresh, Brad. 99% of the problem is Adam Gase. 1% is Sam Darnold. And there are crumbs left for the rest of the team at this point. But Sam Darnold has been so bad to help the Jets be so bad that his trade value is so low, non-existent. So the Jets are going to have a problem when they draft Trevor Lawrence and when they overhaul the coaching staff, they're going to have that guy, Sam Darnold, that was supposed to be Trevor Lawrence, and he's just not. And now you have to figure out a way to get some value for him because you took him as your number one overall selection very short while ago. You need to turn him into something. Well, this, I, when you're talking, it reminds me a little, not the same situation, but very similar to Josh Rosen. I honestly forgot, like, where he was. (laughs) I was like, where did that guy go? And he's, he's with the Bucks right now. But I'm just like, was supposed to be the franchise guy. Obviously, Josh Rosen got screwed over to the, like, the worst case scenario of they draft them, and then next year they draft Kyler Murray and ship him away. But it's very similar, like, this was supposed to be your guy, and it's kind of, you got a short leash pretty early on. So hopefully the Jets get something for him. We'll see. All right. We're moving on to preview at this point. Sam Darnold, I just know it, gearing up for his first win of the year against the Raiders. This is the bet that we were talking about earlier, Jenna. I guess because of COVID, the stakes don't exist, but the bragging rights do. Raiders, Jets. Can the Jets beat the Raiders after a 43-6 to loss? No. No, no, they can't. I'm still picking the Raiders. But who knows? But no, though, this Jets team is is really bad. And like you said, the the thing is, we'll be able to score touchdowns, even though we weren't able to do that last time. And uh, your guy can't can't do that. So see, but so, yeah. I actually have a gut feeling about this one. It's not based on anything. It's not okay. based on anything at all. We're playing all blackjack right. right now. I'm facing a king, and I have a sixteen. Book says to hit, I'm going to stay. I'll take the Jets. Bills versus 49ers in the, ne- in the next big game. And Jenna, can San Francisco claw their way back into contention? They're showing some life. That, that injury bug is rampant, though. 
Um, no, I, I, they did. They did beat the Rams, which is a really solid win. Um, most recently, they they beat them on a field goal to win it. Um, as time expired, twenty three to twenty. So that's something you know. The Rams are a, a pretty good football team. So that's something to be like, oh wow, they did that with Nick Mullins. But the Rams aren't the Bills. The Bills are one of the best teams in the AFC, and they will continue to do so. So. Right now, based off this game, this game in particular, this is not the one that they do it. Maybe later on, but I'm saying Bills all the way. I'll take the Bills, too. The 49ers defense is so banged up, and Allen and Diggs might be the best quarterback-receiver duo outside of Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and maybe Rodgers-Adams. Yeah, there are a few of them, but it's a dang, dang good one. Rams-Cardinals to cap off our preview segment. Both teams coming off costly and surprising losses. You mentioned the Rams losing to the 49ers and the Cardinals losing as well. Jenna, who do you have? Well, the Cardinals lost to the Patriots, which is yeah. <laughs> almost, almost worse, probably worse. I'm going to go. This one was probably the hardest out of the three selections for me, but I'm going to continue. I'm going to go with the Rams. Um, the Rams, they're good. You know, they have really good pieces on the offense and the defense has two of the best defensive players in the NFL. Um, so I'm sticking, I'm sticking with that. We'll see if the Cardinals bounce back because right now they are also six and five, similar to my Raiders and they are in, on the, in the seventh seed. So the right, the team that we need to really be talking about, well, we have the Vikings and the bears and oh, the 49ers, I guess you're kind of right. If the 49ers do some things, they're five and six right now. And the, the Cardinals are kind of holding that spot because they're six and five, but six and six, we, if, you know, those two teams win or three teams win. They're in play. That, we talked about a lot last week of just how the NFC is a lot closer than the AFC is. So it really is anyone's game. But I'm going to go with the Rams. I think the Rams are just a better team. They're right now a five seed in the playoffs. And I think they want to continue to shoot up. Yeah, I'll take the Cardinals. Kyler Murray at home. It's going to be tough to beat. And the Rams were really just – they just laid an egg against the 49ers. They were not playing well. And they made it closer at the end. But really – it was, uh, it was more than a three-point game. The Rams had a scoop and score at the end to make it look closer. So give me the Cardinals at home, and that'll do it. All right. That's everything we have for this week's episode of the Go For Two podcast. It was a longer one, but we had a lot to talk about, a lot to go through. There was a lot in the NFL with COVID and then just all the games. And I did happen to attend one of the games, so that definitely gave us some extra, some extra content this week. And you'll be able to find all of this on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Spotify Spotify just had its 2020 wrapped. So I do know that we were on, on at least one fan's top five for podcasts. So shout out to Harrison. We appreciate you. Um, and everyone else, we hope that we're on your wrap too because Spotify is where we're trying to increase those numbers because right now you have to look up a podcast for frustrated football fans. Buy two frustrated football fans. And that's kind of a mouthful. But the more we listen on Spotify, the easier it will be to find our podcast. And you'll find everything that we post on, on you know, Spotify and on our podcast. We put the link to Spotify, at least, on Twitter. So it would be really easy just to click that link at the Go For Two Pod podcast on Twitter. And then you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the Go For Two Pod at gmail.com. That's all that we have for this episode, like I said, and hopefully you'll be able to enjoy some Wednesday afternoon football. And we'll see you next week.